Welcome to Green Talk, a podcast by Green Farmers of Ontario. I'm Megan McKimmy. And I'm Rachel Telford. So we are joined today on the podcast by Michelle Jalin, and she is a dietitian that we work with uh, sometimes with Green Farmers of Ontario. Um, And it being local food week, we thought it would be a great time to have you on and chat a little bit more about uh, what you do and uh, that tie to green farming. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, And I guess we can start out. Can you tell us just a little bit about your background and how you became a dietitian? Sure. So my background was is actually very, uh, I guess it's like a unique story. Like I got interested in health uh, when I was actually doing my first undergraduate degree in visual arts. I wanted to find a way to, you know, use art in a way to kind of help people. And somewhere along the line, I got interested in health and um, nutrition. And my, I was working at uh, as a health promoter at my university. And she said to me, if you're really interested in nutrition, then you should look into becoming a registered dietitian. So, you know, went back, you know, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to, to do, like, so much schooling, but I did, like, I actually really love school. Like, I love learning. So um, did did another degree in uh, my Bachelor of Applied Science in Nutrition and Food, and then did my internship, and um, now I'm an RD. And now, when I th- think about how, like, I work, it's kind of like my work has been, like, teaching nutrition through art, and that's how it's been for me. And what does your day-to-day look like? So I have my own business, and my own business is a nutrition communication and consulting business. So every day is different. Like like being an entrepreneur, it's like, you know, some days I'm up early because I've got early morning TV. Uh, some days I'm up and I'm writing emails. Other days the day starts later if I have an event later on in the evening. So there isn't really a typical day. Some other days I'm uh, doing some recipe development and photography. So every day is different and it keeps it very exciting for me. And you mentioned all of the education that has gone into you becoming a registered dietitian. How do people under- know or understand what the difference is between a dietitian and a nutritionist and, and maybe some of those other people out there on the mm-hmm. internet who are just freewheeling their own advice about what you should and shouldn't be eating? Yes, I'm so glad you asked me that question because it's a great one. So a registered dietitian in Ontario is a licensed and regulated nutrition professional. So we're the only regulated nutrition professionals uh, in Ontario. And in in other provinces in Canada, they have other names. Uh, They might have like, um, they call it like practicing dietitian or whatever, depending on like out in the East Coast. But in Ontario... Uh, it means that you have completed an accredited program by Dietitians of Canada in uh, nutrition and food. So it's science-based, nutrition and food or dietetics. Um, and you've completed either a master's practicum or you completed a dietetic internship, as well as you passed the national licensing exam in order to be an RD. So if you are a nutritionist, that can mean you have a PhD in nutrition, but it could also mean that you read something off the internet and decided to call yourself a nutritionist. So the term nutritionist is not regulated. Registered dietitian is. And so I'm regulated the way like a doctor is regulated, the way nurses are regulated. Um, so, and that regulation protects the public. Wow, that's great. Um, and I think probably a lot of people don't know that. So it's an important conversation, I, I think, to have and make sure that consumers and um, know a little bit more about that. And so if people want to know if the professional that they're considering getting advice from is the real deal, is there a resource they can look up? Oh, yes. 
So if you're, you can always go to the College of Dietitians of Ontario website. Um, you can just write in Google College of Dietitians Ontario, and then there you'll find like the register of all the dietitians who are practicing and are licensed in Ontario. We pay fees to our colleges um, for them to regulate us, and they regulate us. They protect the public um, by making sure you know dietitians aren't like practicing unruly or or putting out hokey information or that kind of thing, right? So you can go online and check it out there. Another great resource is if you just go to dietitians.ca. There's a lot of great information there too, um, which is also all by registered dietitians. And we're also an evidence-based profession. Mm -hmm. So everything has to be backed up by science. Um, we don't promote like hokey stuff and weird things. Um, it's, it's very much evidence-based and science-based to give people the best information. We've been working with you at Grain Farmers of Ontario, but for some of our farmer members that might know less about the public outreach side of things, can you tell us a bit um, about how we work together? Yeah, so I work with GFO as a spokesperson. I, I love what I do, so I will promote uh, the work that GFO does in both traditional media, so like television and radio, um, but also like on digital media, so like blogging and social media, and Sometimes, too, at upcoming, I'll do, like, I might do, like, trade show type things, too. So it's, like, either talking to consumers about grain, um, but also maybe sometimes talking to other dietitians to, you know, inform them, too, a little bit more about grain farmers and answer any questions that they might have about um, grain or nutrition of grain or that kind of thing. And why did you want to work with Grain Farmers of Ontario? I'm, grains have gotten a bad rap in recent years, you know, with the Wheat Valley book and all that. Um, so why was, it, why was it okay for you to talk about grains in a positive way? I think uh, this is a difference with science and popular opinions or something. So a book comes out, it's a bestseller, you know, Grain Brain or Wheat Belly or whatever, and then everyone says, you know, we're not going to eat this because it's bad for us. Well, if you actually look into a lot of the science um, of those books, and a lot of them are not backed up by evidence, mm -hmm. and they're based on, like, anecdotes of people um, telling, you know, the author or the doctor or whatever that, you know, I felt, you know, sick because X, Y, Z, which doesn't necessarily mean that the grain caused that. It's kind of like, like the, the books are not, they're, they're, they're kind of like have the evidence that's been cherry-picked. Um, and it's not just that, too. I mean, I mean, I know there's a whole thing with the whole gluten-free movement, too. Again, a lot of people are misinformed because, you know, unless you have a legitimate reason to avoid things like, like wheat, um, then you don't need to. And what I've been finding, too, is because nowadays people are very, you know, they might be going on some kind of diet or whatever, and if they don't eat the grains, especially the whole grains, then they have things like constipation. So... I like to talk about grain, too, because I feel like a lot of times people don't get enough whole grains and, like, you know, eating enough fiber is very important. It's very important to gut health and all other aspects of your health as well, um, you know, diabetes and, you know, heart disease and also in a prevention sense. So, I mean, that's why I wanted to work with grain. It, like, I don't see grain as bad. I think it's very good for our diets, actually. It's just there's a lot of there's misinformation out there that has to be and conversations have to happen about about uh, health benefits of grains. So when you talk to people about incorporating grain into their diet, what's some of, I guess, the easiest, most simple advice that you can give to people? Well, a lot of times uh, it depends on, sometimes it depends on who I'm talking to, like whatever population I'm talking to. Um, you know, because people are, 
I mean, if you're if you're looking at, for example, let's just say um, a young adult population. We'll talk we'll, we'll talk about like millennial population, which tends to be majority of my my followers. Um, so they're really into things like overnight oats. Like it's just something they're really into. The whole idea of being like a busy young professional, grab and go breakfast, uh, is is um, is really important to them. Right. You know, if I'm talking to children, I'd right, be talking about cereals or something like that. Right. So it depends. Um, and then if you're talking to an older population, you know, then you're maybe talking about like wheat bran or something. So it really depends on what population I'm talking to. Um, and I cater that message to that particular group. And uh, later this week, uh, it's Local Food Week, but you also have um, a Dietitians of Canada event coming up and um, Green Farmers of Ontario. We're going to have some of our staff out there as well. Can you tell us a bit about what that event is? Yes. So this is the annual National Dietitians of Canada conference. It happens every year uh, around this time of year, so early June. And it's always in like a, in a Canadian city. This year it's in Ottawa. So dietitians get together, we learn, we network, um, go to different uh, seminars and sessions and whatnot and dinners. Like you're like, you know, like conferences you probably have in your field as well. Um, but, but also like, you know, if grain is like grain being there too, they're there to give information to dietitians. So a lot of times, our is we talk. I talk to consumers too. If they have concerns about things, or they want to know stuff, or they're, they're like, they're unsure. And then sometimes to yourself as a dietitian, like you can't know everything. Like sometimes you, you'd be like, hmm. Sometimes a lot of times my my sometimes my answers to people are like, let me get back to you about that because I might not have the answer right away. But if I can find the answer and then I can get back to a person, then um, that's better than just you know saying I don't know, right? So. It's, it's to help, uh, you know, educate professionals like dietitians so that they can bring information to their consumers and their clients and whatnot about things like health benefits of grains and, and also to help clear up any misinformation that they might be getting from their own consumers and clients. And what type of feedback have you heard um, at these events or any other event when you're talking to other dietitians about grain farmers and, and grains in general? So, I mean, you always want to cater your message to whoever you're speaking to. Um, but some of the questions they get, like, you know, consumers would be like, should I, should I buy the organic one, for example? Like, they ask questions like that. Or like, oh, I, I thought that, you know, what we talked about earlier, I thought wheat, wheat was bad for me and I've been avoiding that. Or, uh, oh, I'm just doing a gluten-free thing right now and because I, I think that um, gluten and wheat is bad or something like that. So a lot of times people... I, I think a lot of times also it's, it's the it's kind of the day and age of the of the information age we live in is that there's so much information out there and and you don't know where people are going to for their sources. So more often than not, I find too whenever I I a lot of times I'm asking grain farmers questions that things like I get like oh how did you I think it could even be like how did how did because we don't know I don't know about farming really it's like how does that become the food on my plate or something or why do you go through this process and or is it safe a lot of it a lot of it is about safety like is it safe for human consumption so those are kind of things that we usually talk about and we talk about amongst ourselves ourselves and each other and um and it, but it's nice to talk directly with somebody who does represent grain so that way you're getting answers and and you know they're fully transparent then you can be like okay and this is the information you can take back and then consumers can decide what they want to do with the information you mentioned organic and organic farming. Is there also a concern about uh, genetically modified foods? I would say there is. Um, 
I wouldn't say myself as a dietitian. A lot of dietitians are, well, I think some are are for it, some are not for it. I think the majority of us are for it because we are, again, science-based and knowing what science can do in order to, you know, increase, you know, um, the nutrients or something or make something um, not go bad at fast. These are all innovations that are great things. Um, but I wouldn't say consumers quite understand, and that's because, like, that three-letter acronym is a really kind of is a large concept for like the average consumer to understand. Mm-hmm. It's a bit too um, high level for them. And I think a lot of times when people are scared or they have some sort of fear, they tend to just, you know, like write it off completely. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's about speaking it in a way, speaking about it in a way that speaks to a, a consumer at like the lay people level. I remember attending one event that was hosted by dietitians. And one of the topics that came up was the fact that it's hard enough to convince people to, you know, eat the fruit and vegetables instead of the potato chips, let alone convincing them yeah. that you don't need, need to go for the organic variety as long yeah. as you're choosing that bag of carrots, right? Like it's, there, there's yeah. that sort of disconnect. Yes. Or some people are like, I don't buy the baby carrots because they're cleaned in chlorine or something like that. Like it's, it's just... I, and I mean, it's, it's, again, I mean, there's so much information out there. And, and, and yes, I mean, even things like, it's like the French fries. It's like, yes, you want the French fries. Or when people say, we want healthier food, let's say just, you know, in a cafeteria or something. But then as soon as you take away the French fries, well, hell breaks loose. <laughs> the only kind of potato my daughter will eat is a French fry. She yeah, doesn't even like mashed potatoes, which is weird, right? Like normally little kids love mashed potatoes. She hates them. Wow. But you know what? You're not alone because a lot of parents deal with that too, you know, like, and dietitian moms too deal with the same thing, like, with their kids too. I mean, it's just, and that will, that will probably change, you know, as the years go on or eventually, you know, you never know, right? But it takes, like, so many tries for kids to finally be like, yes, this is something I'll eat, you know? The trick is not to give up. Just keep offering it. <laughs> she eats weird things though like she won't eat mashed potatoes but she likes quinoa oh wow <laughs> yeah that's interesting right <laughs> that's actually really cool it's actually really funny <laughs> so when we talk about uh, grains a lot of the times we don't think of grains as a local food and this being local food week um we thought it would be a good opportunity to to talk about how you know, Ontario is the big grain producer when we talk about barley, corn, oats, soybeans, and wheat, and just the vast number of products that those are, are put into. But the challenge is, is that it's not always identified that the grains in a product are local. So people don't really make that connection that grains are a local food. Yeah, so a lot of times it's about, you might not know specifically if it's grown in Ontario, but um, buying Canadian would be better because you know you might have some uh, local stuff that's produced in Ontario like for example flour but it might be blended with flour from like a different part of Canada like Western Canada in order to get the right consistency so if you're buying something like crackers for example I think a lot of consumers too they they want to support local like if they can but it's just um, knowing knowing what to buy um, it can be a bit challenging sometimes I guess yeah I'm yeah. So what does local food week, I guess, mean to you as a dietitian? Um, I know this is something that we are talking about in agriculture a lot, this local food week idea and trying to promote it to consumers. So what do you think about when you hear local food week? So uh, I think, too, it's to 
promote the abundance of nutritious and affordable food to the public. That's how I think of Local Food Week. I think about also um, the sustainability aspect of local food and like the environmental impacts as well, right? So like people are, sometimes if people are like, you know, I want to buy the organic strawberries or something, let's just do that for example. Mm -hmm. But the organic strawberries came from California. Like for me, I think of it more of like a nutrition, yes, but also sustainability in a sense, right? Yeah. Um, and like supporting local, and I, and I I love supporting local too. Like it, it is something that is important to me. Um, so I mean, and, and a lot of times too, I think people too, and myself, I I may not want to buy things that are from like sometimes yes, I do buy some international stuff, but just in general, like um, when it comes to like food, you know, you want to take take something that's maybe uh, consume something or feed your family something that has taken the road less traveled to get to you or to know like I think also the idea of kind of like if it's local you kind of know your farmer more in a way it's like yeah. it's like you know that you know this family grew this or you know what I mean like it's, it's got that kind of more closer to home sort of feel to it. I think product labels have really helped people choose local more often and a bit more wisely but sometimes you really have to be careful because there could be a big sign at the grocery store that says Ontario grown produce but then you know the tomatoes or the carrots or whatever is there it's actually labeled made in USA or made in Mexico or or wherever yeah no 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 definitely that's um that's definitely a challenge like like in the summer too I'm not quite now, like, because it's still kind of cold, cold. Actually, it's late in summer. Never mind. Uh, I guess maybe, like, in July, August, I think I like, like, one of farmer's markets, right, and making sure they're farmer's markets that are actual ones that are, like, you know, like, yes, this is a farmer that grew this or or whatnot, right? Um, but food labeling does help a lot. I mean, I try to look for things, too, that are, that are growing, that are growing in Ontario, and at least if I can't, then I mean in Canada. Some people don't realize if they go to farmer's markets, and I'll use the bag of carrots because I remember seeing this in the news, where they, they're buying them thinking that they're buying them from the farmer that actually grew them. But it turns out they just yeah. got them from the food terminal yeah. in Toronto. So it's the same ones they would have bought at their local grocery store. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's something that Farmer's Markets Ontario has been working on. Uh, marketing, like, you know, more, uh, like, you know, real farmers markets, not the ones where it's like everyone just bought them from the terminal and just sold them and said, I grew it, you know? So that's important. Yeah, that's something that's good to, to look out for too. Is it challenging from your perspective as a dietitian when you're, you're trying to educate people to choose wisely and choose healthy options and choose local when it just seems like there's so many obstacles in the way, like we've just talked about with the mislabeling or the misrepresentation of products? What do you tell people when they come to you and like, you know, I tried and I'm just really discouraged? So I think one of the challenges is um, I think these days we're, we're not as relaxed about food. Um, we're a little bit more, we have more food fear than we used to. It's kind of, um, so a lot of times the first thing is kind of removing the food fear. And then once you, you do that, um, then it's easier to work on the other stuff. It's like, hmm, maybe I will try a vegetable today. Maybe I will try to, you know, uh, I'll go for, you know, a whole grain pasta instead of buying the regular one I buy. So it's little steps, right? Uh, at the end of the day, I think a lot of times um, it's, it is finding what works for you and then trying to do the best you can. Like there's no, you know, it's all, I, I don't believe in ever, you know, 
food shaming people or making people feel bad about food choices. I mean, it's about you do the best you can. Like if you've done, if you, if you have, if you've made the effort to try to have, you know, to pick a healthy option for yourself and your family, you know, that's still one step in the right direction instead of feeling like totally overwhelmed. Like I don't even want to eat anymore, you know, like, like, because, you know, humans got to eat. Right. So it is, it is challenging. It is at the same time, you know, I enjoy talking about food. I find it fun. I like talking to farmers too. I like learning from them and then hearing, you know, what their world is like. It's so different from mine. So it's part of the education process and trying to make it easy for people. Um, and in agriculture, we talk a lot about um, being advocates and sharing our stories and trying to let consumers know more um, about what farmers are doing in their fields and maybe make them a little bit less scared, like you're talking about. Um, yeah. But you... I guess are regularly talking to um, cons- well consumers for us. Uh, what do you think maybe we could do a better job of about sharing our stories or what are the main concerns that you're hearing that maybe we could try and work on? That's a great question. So I, I, I can understand. I've, I've, I've met a lot of farmers too through like good and evergreen and mm-hmm. through agriculture and stuff. And I get it how like normally you're not naturally if you're not naturally used to talking to people like consumers, it can be kind of intimidating, right? Mm-hmm. People relate to other people that they have something in common with. So, you know, you're a, you're a family farm and, you know, you, you, your kids work on the farm too. You're a family business. You know, you work together, you work hard to put food to, to, um, to grow good quality food. And, um, and, you know, you love what you do and, um, you know, you do good work and, you know, you you put so much of your own, you know, not just like, I mean, I'm always so impressed with farmers because the work is so hard. Like I can never do it. Right. Like it's just so little hours are long and it's really labor intensive. And so you, and you do, you do this because you, you want to produce the best food out there. Um, and those are important things to tell people. Like if it's coming from like the heart and it's not, uh, you're just, yeah, you know, you're just spraying crops for the sake um, the sake of spraying crops, like, well, no, no, we, you know, you have to spray because of, mm-hmm. you know, to avoid the pests and something. And, you know, these are some of the pests that we get. And when I hear that too, and I see um, things that pests can do, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> like I'm so glad I'm out in the field trying to control for this because um, I would probably feel overwhelmed, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess, like, don't be afraid to, to tell your story and don't be afraid to talk to people. And most people, I think, most people are reasonable, I find. Like, most people just want to know. They just want to be like, oh, why do they do that? You know, and you should just tell them why. Not because you're, you're like, an evil person. No, you do this because of this. And also the fact that farms are, um, um, I think a lot of people also don't know that farmers have standards they have to abide by, too, just like myself as a dietitian. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you... You know, you're, you you can't just go and just do something for the sake of doing something. Like, you follow a certain regulatory, um, or like, way that you do things as well in farming. Mm-hmm. And then when people know that, it can make them feel less um, scared. I mean, even, like, I find people connect, well, like, we're in such a tech-savvy world. People connect a lot to faces and, like, pictures and stuff, you know? Um if you're not, you know, camera shy and stuff, it's like, this is me and, and I'm on the field. And it's like, oh, you know, he's like my farmer in a way, you know, makes people feel more at ease. 
Now, speaking of farmers being out in the field this spring, farmers are really trying hard to get out there and plant the crops. Yeah. But, um, you know, a lot of them are going to be working weird hours in the next couple of weeks as it dries up and they are able to get out there planting. Can you give them some advice as a dietitian in terms of healthy eating over the next couple of weeks and, and maybe some easy tips for them when they're out in the field working? So it's very nice to have some healthy snacks on hand. Like let's say you have like um, like an apple and you've got like some nuts or something and then you can like, you know, munch on, on that. Um, because I know when you're out there working and you're working long hours, sometimes you just forget to eat, right? So having, and, or you're just like, oh, you know, I'll just eat when I, when I get back, you know, to the house or whatnot. And it's like, um, and then by that, then at that point, you've been out there for hours and you've had nothing and then you get home and you're starved and then you're going to like, you know, have a big feast. And, but it's nice to have, to make sure you have some snacks out there with you. Make sure you also stay hydrated. Like you have water there. Water was ideal. Um, and you're keeping yourself hydrated as well because, you know, you're out there and depending on the weather, it might be, you might get hot or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So those are things I would suggest too. I, I like to sometimes, um, if you're, if I have like, I'll have raw veggies and I'll have hummus maybe or something like those are good little, little portable snacks too. Mm-hmm. So some like healthy granola bars too can be nice as well. If you have them on hand, if you don't want to, you know, cause you can't wash your hands or whatever, you can just, you know, open it and just eat it or something. So um, and if any of our listeners would like to follow along with you, uh, Michelle, how can they find you on social media and your website? Uh, you can find me at Nutrition Artist. That is my Instagram. It's also my Twitter. So my website is nutritionartist.com, but I'm currently going through a rebrand, so it's not currently running yet, but it will be soon. But um, I, I really welcome, like, I mean, they're welcome to follow me and ask questions, and I will follow back and ask questions too, like, because it's a great way to bridge the the, uh, the knowledge gap with consumers by talking to each other. Well, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. There was uh, some really interesting conversations uh, about farming and dietitians, something that our farmers might not know a lot about. So thank you. Thank you for having me. So we are joined on the podcast today by Barry Senth, our CEO at Green Farmers of Ontario. Um, and Barry, I guess we can start off talking a little bit um, about how what you've been hearing about planting across the province with uh, our weather conditions this year. Or lack of planting. Lack of planting, <laughs> lack of planting I planting. think, would be uh, pretty well descriptive of it. Well, the, you know, the last time I was on is two or three weeks ago on, uh, on the program, and the uh, challenge continues. And it is now June 3rd. And um, while some planting has progressed, uh, it's very little. I don't know, uh, I haven't heard any of the old timers reminisce about how this compares to uh, any year that they recall at all. I think uh, um, usually what happens is that you get a good chunk of ground planted and you might get a prolonged wet spell. But this one's just uh, right off the hop. And as I've said before, it's, it's, you know, it continues from last year's harvest where we couldn't get any decent harvest weather in three days of cons- uh, consecutive uh, sunshine. And it continued through the winter, one of the, you know, uh, gloomiest winters uh, I've ever experienced. And uh, it went right into spring. And uh, a lot of a frustration by producers, uh, you know, seed switching, trying to get... Uh, shorter season varieties on corn. 
I wouldn't even guess what percentage now of, of corn is planted. One thing we know that uh, when the time is right, farmers can get a lot of ground planted in, uh, in short order. My issue is that, that you know, when they do get on the field, it's likely not going to be in ideal uh, seeding conditions, planting conditions. So uh, they just need to get it into the ground these days and, and soys. Some, you know, if it's on sandy land, they've moved, you know, and, and done some soys, waiting for some uh, corn ground to, uh, to dry up. But um, it's dismal. And then on top of that, we've got a lot of winter kill in our winter wheat. And there's, uh, you know, some projections that uh, could be up to a third of, uh, of our acres uh, planted last fall might get ripped up. So, like, nothing is working for us at all. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I think if, you know, with some of the moisture we had, if we'd had some, some good warm days, some of that wheat would have survived because we've written off wheat a number of times through the winter and then it comes through uh, uh, come spring. But this year, we just don't get a break. I heard one, or like I saw one thing on Twitter where people were saying, normally the saying goes knee high by the 4th of July and people are like, I'll be lucky if I have my crop planted by then. Yeah, we're seeing, you know, uh, crop insurance, AgriCore already extending some of those uh, those seeding deadlines uh, in, uh, you know, in the north and east that have come up the end of the month. And we'll see what happens come, you know, June 15th, June 20th, when, uh, when soy and corn in a lot of areas, or all areas, then come to a, uh, come to the due date. So, uh going to be an interesting next couple of weeks that's for sure and last we talked to you you were out west helping to plant on your family farm conditions there are not ideal because they don't have enough moisture well it's quite the opposite uh if they could tilt the globe a little bit and let some of this run out west uh yeah no significant rainfall i think when i was out there listening to the radio and the tractor it was the driest it was the coldest february the driest uh March and May was the driest May ever on record and today it's 34 degrees so she um, you know again if we could switch uh, weather patterns for a week or so I think everybody would be very very happy but uh, that's not up to us to uh, to do that. Um, and Barry, later this week, you're going to Asia, uh, the Japan area on to be part of a trade mission. Can you tell us a bit about what we're doing there? Sure, the uh, Canadian government, uh, led by Minister Jim Carr, is leading the Canadian delegation, uh, in most part by the uh, and for the canola industry, given the uh, uh, given the um, the reductions or the the issues that canola are facing going into uh, into China, and this is part of the government's commitment to uh, to diversify the market, solidify the markets that are there, uh, especially for Japan, a big canola. Uh, has been a big canola customer for years, so uh, similar. So uh, I'll be attending representing the soybean industry uh, to ensure that, um, you know, to ensure that, you know, while canola is looking for new markets, they aren't displacing some of the existing soybean markets that we have in place in some of these markets already. Uh, so it's a quick trip, uh, day meetings with each of the, uh, the country's industry, and, and again, an effort to... Uh, to just uh, deal with trade issue that we have uh, going on. Um, you know, as it pertains to soybeans and canola, canola has got a lot of the attention uh, 
regarding China, but when you look at uh, what's happened with soybeans in the U.S. and the tariffs between themselves and China, uh, the U.S. president last year announcing $1.65 uh, a bushel help towards U.S. soybean growers. This year they just announced $2 a bushel, although they've changed it and tried to make it more market neutral. You could argue that the soybean industry has been uh, hit harder with uh, prices than, than the canola industry. Um, China, again, has... Uh, has reduced, slowed down uh, imports of Canadian soy since about January, um, with commercial shipments. Now, with uh, with uh, sea cans, there uh, they've slowed that down uh, in a significant manner. So it isn't again canola that's the only one that that is uh, facing the hardships in this in this trade battle. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today on the podcast, Barry, and for your update uh, from the CEO. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests, Michelle J. Lynn and Barry Sun. And if you like what you've heard today on the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.